Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have near-death experiencer, Lay Moore. And Lay had not one, not two, but three near-death experiences in her life and also had a shared death experience. These experiences absolutely were profound and changed her life forever. And her story is not only inspiring, but pretty miraculous. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show. Laymore. How are you doing, Lay? I'm just honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to talk to you about your near-death experience, which you apparently are dying way too many times, so you need to stop. There's a few of these we're going to talk about. <laughs> and then also towards the end, we're going to talk a little bit about channeling, and, and you're actually channeling uh, a group of uh, entities that are have a message for the young people of the world. So we're going to kind of touch upon that towards the end. So My first question to you is, what was your life like prior to your first near-death experience? I was really just a kid, so I can't really say that there was much about it, except that my childhood was a bit exceptional in how um, violent it was or how traumatic it was, starting from the very beginning. My parents got together when my mother was 16 and my father was 18, and she had her first child when she was 16. And continued to have seven and a half, seven, six kids in seven and a half years after that. Yeah. So she was, I think, a little overwhelmed, frustrated, angry, um, and she let us know it. So I started very early. Uh, from the age of three, I can remember feeling people's energy. It was a, a way of surviving. I had to know how, what straight state she was in at any moment in time. And I went from there when I was five, I had a little experience where we were walking down the sidewalk and I just knew, just knew that the lady walking toward us did not like my dress. Now, I don't know why I remember this, but I do. And it was very clear to me that I knew this. And so I've been kind of starting things all all through my life. But the first near-death experience uh, happened when I was 21, and that was with the birth of my second son. So this, I was really still just a child myself. Right. I mean, you, you, but at that point, you, you were a young adult. So it wasn't like you were a kid, like had, hadn't lived a life. You had lived a little bit of, and you've definitely have experienced things according to what you were saying. So you've definitely been down the road a bit at 20, probably more so than most 21-year-olds <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Now, were you spiritual? Were you religious? Were you raised that way? My father was a very strong, strict Catholic. You know this story. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
the reason why I pushed everything, including the near-death experience down so much, was that I was told that my parents and my life was perfect, and this was heaven. And I thought, I truly thought, if this is heaven, <laughs> and if, if having any of these, these weird experiences is going to send me to hell, which is so much worse, I want no part of it. And so I was like, nope, nope, nothing. I don't admit anything. I, I never, nothing. So you pretty much were, before we even get into the near-death experiences and, and other experiences you've had, you shoved them down, put them in the closet, locked the door, put a, a couch against the door. You were just like, I, you just shoved it and denied it for a long time. When did you decide to come out with this information? Oh, probably when I was about 50. So you Maybe past you, 50. So you weren't playing around. You kept that you kept that in for a while. <laughs> All right, so we'll come back to we'll come back to that afterwards. So your first near death experience, tell me what happened. Okay, uh, the the pregnancy had been unremarkable except that my son was extremely active. When it was time for him to come into the world, he decided to be a gymnast and and just play flip-flop in my stomach. And the attendants, and I fault them none for this. It wasn't a, a situation that lends itself to nice, easy, calm thought. Uh, they kept having to reach up inside of me and turn him around so he wouldn't get caught in the cords and so that, you know, it, he would come out the right way. Uh, yeah, I don't suggest this to anyone. <laughs> right. It was painful. Um, mm -hmm. But that's how it happened. And, and so just like within days after he was born, I came down with an extremely high fever. It reached at one point, I saw the thermometer at 111. And people, Whoa. yeah, people will say, well, you can't, that's not possible. You would have died, to which I say I did. And uh, that's how it started. And then as I was in the hospital, I mean, 111, you're not moving much. You're, you're doing very little. You're cooking. Um, You're basically just cooking yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah. And so at one point I'm sitting there, I'm laying on the bed uh, and I sat up. Now, I didn't think anything at all about this, but I sat up and I looked behind me and there behind me was my body sitting down there on the bed and I was sitting up. There's no emotions in this at all. And there's I don't feel bad. I feel really good, actually. And I just floated out of the body and into a very dark tunnel. I mean, this is pitch black, blacker than your shirt, black, everything black. Mm -hmm. I saw nothing, but I felt so wonderful, joyful, blissful. There was no judgment, no it, anything except just pure love. And I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. And I'm floating through this tunnel. I think it's a tunnel. And I get to what I perceived as a widening in the tunnel. I don't know what it was because I couldn't see it, but it felt wider and I didn't, I wasn't moving anymore. And I thought, what's this? And then I heard this voice, which I perceived as male, but I don't know that to be true. And it was the most gentle, loving voice I had ever heard and have ever heard. And he asked, do you want to come now? And I said, I, I just panicked for a little second. And I said, I can't, I have two boys to raise. And he, I, I sort of perceived a nod of a head, no judgment at all. 
And back down I came very quickly and plopped in my body and the fever broke just like that. And I gave it not much more than two thoughts at that point in time, because this was back in 19, the early, early, early 1980s. There's no internet. There's no, <laughs> I, I know, but how do I know what's going on with this when there's no information available? I didn't know that there were books about it. I just, there, there, there was a strange experience and here I am and okay, now I'm raising, raising my kids. And that was pretty much how that went. But there was, uh, when I came back, I realized how empowered I was because I had made the choice to come back, to be mm. here. I had a purpose. I had a reason to be here. And uh, that, that knowing um, cost the, that then marriage. He decided that he needed to control that physically. And I said, no, that's, that's not happening. And so I took the boys under the cover of darkness and left. So when you had this this experience did you just ignore it did you just think it was a dream did you just how did you psychologically deal with this new information i didn't i pushed it down and it wasn't there so again For many so years locked it locked it away it's like eh, i don't even know what i don't want to think about that let me just keep moving on with life Okay, so what happened with the second, you have to stop dying, the second near-death experience that you had? Well, this one is, you know, 20 years later. I just lived for that time and tried to do the best I can, trying to survive being a person I wasn't because I was not allow allowing my true self to come out. And then uh, I was working and uh, I was a supervisor at a, a big box man, big, big box store. Um, and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I again came down with a, a fever. There's a theme here going on, a very high fever. And uh, I was basically in bed. It was the middle of summer and it was very hot outside, but I had every cover I could find on top of me and I was still shivering. And I spent it this way for two days, just like that. And during mm -hmm. this two days, I'm just laying there, laying there. And then it, toward, you know, toward what I, I perceive as the end of it, uh, I kept getting these messages, you know, it'd be so easy to step over that line. And I didn't think anything of it. You know how easy it would be to step over that line. It would really be easy to step over that line. And finally, I said, oh, you're asking me to make a choice, aren't you? And then I thought, well, if I'm going to stay here, I better get a drink of water. I had had nothing to eat or drink during that time. And I had that high fever. So I must have been thirsty. So anyway, um, I crawled out of the bed, crawled all the way to the kitchen to get a drink of water and crawled back into the bed and slowly, slowly, slowly came back. I was out of week for out of work for four weeks that time. So then you had, so that was more of a conversation and less of going into another realm at that point. Yeah. But still yes. there's there's something happening here. There's a pattern that we're kept picking up on. Yes. Okay, so now the third time. <laughs> <laughs> you almost died, or you did die. 
well, the, what happened from the second one was I realized that that was not the life I was supposed to live, being a, a, a supervisor in a big, big box store, that that whole paradigm was not in keeping with where the world was or where the world was going, and it wasn't for me. And so that career ended. So now I'm moving along, and uh, I'm just doing the best I can, trying to, to stay afloat. And here comes, uh, and the da dates are important here. Here comes at the end of August, 2019, very, very end of August, last days of August, I'm out doing meetings and such. And uh, I've, I'm feeling a little like I'm coming down with something, but you know, we don't stop. We just keep going. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept going. And I noticed while I was at the last meeting that I couldn't open a pop can. My fingers would not open the top of the pop can. And a friend had to open it for me. I'm like, this is really weird. And then I, I tasted the drink inside of it, which was, I, it was a juice of some sort. And I thought, oh, this kind of tastes really off. I wonder what's going on here. And then a couple of days later, September 2nd, I again come down with a really high fever. And I'm back in bed again. And, and again, this one is for three days. And during that time, I went to this different place. I don't know where this place was. It was all kind of a brown, gray, orange, pink, misty color or foggy color. And there was, it's very indistinct. There's, I can't see anything, but I hear a whole bunch of voices and I don't know who they were chanting at me. And they're chanting over and over. You have done what you came here to do. And I'm like, Oh, this is so nice. Oh, this is so nice. What? And then instantly back down in the body I go and the fever broke. And I'm like, if I've done what I came here to do, why am I here? And so as soon as I was able to start moving, which this one took months to actually get to a point where I was functional. This was my, this was my big transformation. This is when I started, hey, there has to be a different path for me. I have to do something differently. I'm not sure what it is, but there is a different way for me. So my first thing was, if I've done what I came here to do, I may not be here much longer, and maybe I should figure out how to die. And so I, I, I thought, well, let's, now I've got the internet. Finally, I've got, you know, everything I need. And so I started doing the research. And the first person I come up with is Ram Dass. And so I studied him extensively and I learned everything I could from him, but I didn't die. And so that's how the third one happened. And that's, that was truly my start, my, my transformational start where I, I could no longer ignore that I had a spiritual, spiritual backing in me. So then you went into the closet, started pulling out these memories and started to shine light on them again and really start to analyze what you had gone through in, throughout your life, these three moments, and started to really discover who you were through these experiences. I had remembered the first one some uh, quite a while back, probably um, I, I was in Russia for a couple of years, and it was during that time that I would have remembered that one. But this is when I started putting the pieces all together and making this, oh, this is a puzzle. This is not, this is not separate events. 
these are all the same events and it's just little pieces of it along the way. Now you also had, did you have a shared death experience as well? I did. This one comes just very recently too. Um, as I've mentioned, I did not have the best relationship with my mother. Mm-hmm. And at one point in now, this is, this is um, summer of 2022. I'm like, this is really holding me back. I need to do something. I need to heal this relationship so that I can truly be who I am and who I'm supposed to be here and do what I'm supposed to do. But I don't have a clue how to do this. And I, I knew someone else who had said, well, I found a way. I had a similar experience, to, or early experience to yours. And I figured out how to see my parents as loving me. And I thought, what? How is that? So I tried and, you know, mull it around in my head a bit and nothing. So finally, I just said, okay, whatever's out there, whoever's out there, I need some help. I need to do this, and I don't have any idea how to do it. And so instantly, they put me in, I don't know what you would call it, a vision uh, where I am in a movie theater. You'll like this part. Um, I'm in a movie theater, and I'm the only one there, and it's all dark, and it, I can see First of all, I can see that I'm the person watching. Okay. Then it's given to me that not only am I the person watching, I'm the actor. And then I'm also the director. I'm also the person who's handling all the lights and and the sound. And then came the big one. I'm also the writer. Whatever this is, I wrote it. And then my, my life starts going on the stage like a play. And I'm like, oh, interesting. My life is like a play or a movie or whatever else you want to call it. And I'm the writer. But I'm also the actor. If I'm an actor, my mother is also an actor. And then it came to me that if she's the actor in my play, she and I both chose to come here in whatever form we came here. And she loved me enough to give me the foundation I needed to be the transformer that I am, the, the person who transforms the, the, the um, I just lost the word, the person who transforms the trauma with other people. And that's how much she loved me was to be able to come here as a loving being and do all of that to me so that I could have that foundation. And when I learned that, when I saw that, I realized that as the writer, I could rewrite the script, not only for what's happening now, but what happened then. And Mm. I can see it in a completely different way. And from that, I was, uh, came a huge joy, just immense joy and love of life, and not only forgiveness for her, but love for her. Right. And then uh, just a couple months later in December 2022, and now understand, uh, some 15 years back from this, she had murdered my sister-in-law, and she was in jail. Oh, wow. And 
and well, prison, I guess, is what they would actually call it. She was in prison for the rest of her life. Nobody had seen her or heard her. The only contact they, the, the prison had at all was my brother, whose former wife she had killed. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And so I, I knew nothing about anything that's going on. But mid-December, I go from this very joyous, very loving, very peaceful state to all of a sudden it was like I had had 10 cups of coffee and they were like always around. I was just jittery and I was like nervous and everything was just, you know, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't function because this was happening so much. I tried everything to clean it out and clear it out and nothing touched it. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I kid you not on the third day, it broke into extreme pure joy and love. And I'm Mm. like, Oh, wow. Okay. What was this? And I'm just enjoying the joy and such. And my brother calls me and he says, I have to tell you that our mother has passed. And so I told him what had happened to me. And I realized I had been sharing that experience with her. And when I, when I felt the joy, when I felt the love, it was her feeling that too. She was on the other side. And so from that, um, in fact, there was absolutely no grief, none at all. And that's really important because I, though when my sister passed, I grieved very much. I can also see in the future where we will understand that this is this here, what we're doing is a movie, is a hologram, is a play, whatever you want to call it. And that when people leave this, whatever you want to call it, they don't, the, their bodies go back to the earth but they don't end. And we will celebrate them for being able to have left this little package that is so confining and then again joining the freedom that is beyond. That's amazing. That's an amazing, amazing story. Uh, So let me ask you, when all this information is coming out now and you're really diving into what's happened to you, and really starting to you know, study Ram Das and go down the spiritual path. At what point did you decide to come out of the, out of the spiritual closet, as I like to say, uh, and come out publicly to really just say, this is who I am? Because that takes bravery to do so. It does. And I tried it a few times. I, I, I tried it on different, different levels, and it didn't work very well. You know, this is one of those, if you try and tell a doctor, you know, um, <laughs> I will, I will do nothing to hide or to, to make this happen sooner. But when my time comes, I'm ready to go. Doctor is going to have some reactions to this. <laughs> Don't do right. this. Um, mm-hmm. so the, I, I, I knew that I had to use it. I knew I had to find my quote tribe and to help the people who could benefit from it. And mm-hmm. I had been working on trying to help the people because I knew because of my past, that I was a very good, I will call it coach. Uh, I had helped a lot of people to make their lives much better. And I knew that's what I needed to do. 
And so now I'm like, okay, now I have even some more tools to put in that basket and a better way of explaining who I am to people. So that would be when I came out. And I don't think I came out like it wasn't a single event. It was more like a process. Mm. But it would have been, it would have actually started um, as I was studying Ram Das. As soon as I got the strength back to be able to actually move and, and, and become something of myself, that's when that would have, have actually been me coming out and saying, hey, world, I'm here, though I had no idea how to do this. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, the one thing I, I really want to kind of focus on what you said is that the trauma and the pain that you went through in your life prepared you to be this transformative person now helping other people without that negativity and trauma, you wouldn't have these tools to help people. And that's something that it's hard for people who are in the trauma, in the pain to listen to. We've all, there's not a soul that's walked this planet that has not gone through some stuff and at multiple levels very little, very high. It's all depending on what you want to learn while you're here. But without the trauma that's happened in my life, I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing. I mean, literally would have not even occurred to me to try to do all the work that I do. Uh, and same for goes for you. So what, I just wanted you kind of like to dig into that a little bit for people who might be going through traumatic pro a traumatic process now, recovering from a traumatic process, going through pain in their life. What words do you have to say to them? First of all, that there's hope on the other side. You don't have to live in this. And it's not fair to just say you're choosing this. Okay. It may or may, it may be true. It probably is true. We all choose this at some on some level. But there is a process to, to get through the trauma. And it's not an easy process. It's simple, but it's not easy. You have to look at the events and look at them very deeply. Look at the emotions they cause. Look at the feelings they cause. Is it there somewhere in your body? When you feel it, when you're looking through this, is there a certain part of your body that is reacting to it? And then you have to kind of make friends with the trauma. And then you have to release it and let it go. So it sounds really simple. It's a process that frequently takes years. Mm -hmm. Now, what are some of the biggest takeaways you had from your spiritual experiences in general, from your near-death experience to your spirit? What's the biggest takeaway that you can share with the audience? That we are all one. There is only oneness. And that every one of us, what we suffer, what each of us su suffers individually, mm. everyone suffers. And thus, if, if a person, any person, does any motion, action, or thought to hurt another person, that person also hurts themselves and everyone else. Very true. Now, were there any after effects from these spiritual experiences, these near-death experiences, that abilities, things like that, that came to you that you never had before? There's actually a lot of, I don't know if I'll call them after effects. I think they were probably there all the time, but they have come out much more so. One of them I mentioned was the ability to see a person's emotional state instantly. Um, 
Another is that for many years now, I have been able to talk to people, see where they're at or, or just know where they're at. And somehow, magically, the, whatever words they need to hear at that moment will come out of my mouth and to them. And to me, it may sound like it's nothing, no big deal. But to them, it's exactly what they needed to hear so that they could move on from wherever they were, which is an interesting one, which that one gradually with all of these experiences turned into channeling. And that one has been developing and has recently developed fully. What did you think when you started to hear voices for the first time? I mean, I know you had some in your near-death experiences, but that's a bit different than channeling, from my understanding, at least. For me, because it was a, they were voices that were loving, they were mm -hmm. voices that were kind, and they were voices that were extremely beneficial when what they were saying. I was like, bring it on. You know, was I going to go out to the world and say, I can do this? I told my very best soul friend. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I told anybody else at the time. <laughs> right. By the way, what does your family, like your kids and, and your family think about all of this? I mean, you are now coming out publicly. You're doing interviews. It's a very big difference than just having a conversation over the kitchen table to doing interviews where potentially hundreds of thousands of people are going to see you. Most of my family does not talk to me, uh, except for my brother. Mm -hmm. And my brother has has accepted it. And he's like, he, he doesn't actually ask me, will you do this for me yet? But he's like, do you have anything to say to me? <laughs> um, the, lo the lottery tickets, the lottery yeah. tickets. I mean, <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. My granddaughter, who is, uh, she's about to turn 22. Oh, and wow. um, she and my oldest son got how I was raising them, both of them. And that was, I wanted something different for them. I wanted them to be able to make choices freely to be who they were. My older son is a, a Buddhist chaplain in the American military. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. That's I like awesome. that. Um, and my granddaughter is living somewhere in the upper Midwest um, in a place that's really kind of, I don't know how to say it politely. Um, they're not quite on board with the spiritual thing yet. And yeah. she is a practicing um, Wiccan priestess. Mm. So, and, and she has had me channel for her. She, I have been her foundation throughout her life. The other side of her family does not accept her at all and thinks she should get back in her box. And I keep telling her, no, you can stay outside that box. <laughs> you don't need to right. be there. Well, one of the, so, one of, that's, that's beautiful. One of the things that is a common theme I found with all these near-death experiences I've spoken to, near-death experiencers, is the ability to, to connect with your own truth, to who you truly are. And to express that in the world, regardless of how others might try to put you back in a box or try to put you, if you're not hurting anyone, 
and you're truly just trying to help and send love and try and try to assist people on their journey uh, and express yourself in that way. It's so liberating because I mean, you were in the, you were in that closet for quite some time. Um, and you, not only were you in the closet, you denied it most of those years from my understanding. Like you didn't even, didn't, it's not that you knew what was going on behind the door. I didn't, don't even know. No, it kind of never happened until finally this kind of bubbled up. I guess this is why you needed to die so many times. <laughs> you were hard-headedly. <laughs> I am a Taurus born in the, the year of the ox. Uh, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, from my understanding with near-death experiences, when people are always like, well, why does it happen to some people and it doesn't happen to others? I, From my understanding, I'd love to hear your point of view. From my understanding, it's that you either needed a wake-up call that puts you on the path that you were supposed to be on, or it's just part of the blueprint that you were kind of set up to do, or it was an exit, potential exit that you you had. You set up these kind of exit points throughout your life that you're like, hey, are you do you want that's why they ask, are do you want to do you want to stay or do you want to go? This is an exit. No, okay, back in, see you in 20 years. <laughs> like, what's your what's your take on it? I think all of those are valid. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe I've had at least one of each. Um, I will say, though, as far as the, the keeping it down, uh, I was I had this, after my parents split when I was six uh, and I got jostled back and forth a little bit. At the age of 13, I told my mother that I was not going to church anymore because I thought that I could see the the hypocrisy in the the devout, shall I call them? Mm -hmm. uh, because they weren't living what they said they were supposed to be living. They, right. they were treating people in a way that was not like what Jesus would have done. And I'm like, I can't do this. So at 13, I stopped being a Christian. I stopped being a Catholic. I stopped being anything. So to me, all of this, that, religion and spirituality was all one and it was the all of these things that happened to me that broke me out of that and oh no spirituality and religion are not anywhere close to the same thing mm -mm. not at all not at all so okay so if near-death experiences and the shared death experience and all the things you've gone through is not enough as you've said you're now becoming a channel so can you explain to the audience what how you're channeling is what's your process to channel and how do you like energetically deal with it as it comes in? Okay. First of all, they have now called themselves the wisdom keepers of lost civilizations. And the reason for being here at this time is to guide younger generations so that they can avoid the fate of these lost generation of these lost civilizations. And they come through me specifically as a grandmother figure to these people, a loving grandmother figure, as, a, as opposed to somebody of their own age whom they may or may not trust to say these things. Mm. And so that's why I was chosen and why I'm doing it at this time. The way that it works for me, they're, they're here all the time. And these voices that I've heard throughout my life telling people what they need to hear is actually them. 
but that was I was not quite ready then for it to be full blown channeling. Mm -hmm. So how I do it now is they're here. They're here all the time. I speak to them like my friends because they're always here and ask them all sorts of questions. But when I'm doing it for someone else or if I'm doing it publicly, I will close my eyes because the words come through clearer to me that way. Uh, I will probably not remember it. Uh, I may remember bits and pieces or I may remember the gist of something, but I will not remember exactly what they said unless I go back and watch the tape. How did you handle the energy? Because I, from my understanding, there is a priming period, if you will, because if not, you can short circuit the board, as they say. <laughs> and I think I'm still going through some of that. Um, after I channel, I usually, if it's a long channel or a deep channel, I will get, I, for a while, I get really super energized. <laughs> and then I kind of go. <laughs> those, are that's a tech, those are both technical terms, by the way. Very scientific. <laughs> Very scientific. <laughs> <laughs> we all know what that means. You're like, this is the So <laughs> I'll translate. You get very energetic. You get a lot of hyped up and then you have a crash. So it's basically you're taking four or five espressos and then you just completely crash on a sugar and a caffeine crash, essentially. Yeah. yeah. But, you're getting, like but you're getting a little bit better. You're getting a little bit more uh, optimized, if you will, to be able to handle these kind of channels. I am, and I can still feel it sometimes physically, especially my feet tingle uh, and my legs will, will tingle. Uh, but I also know that I have been being prepared for this for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. And so they have had a lot of time to get my body ready to do this. So it's maybe not as maybe severe as some of the others who've said, who've learned, you are a channel, you're doing this now, and we're going to, you know, it's, it's going and to be a course. And we're off. Yeah. So it, that, as you've been saying, as you've been talking, what was coming to me was like, she's probably being prepared physically because you've gone through so many of these experiences and your death experience, shared death experiences that does change the wiring, if you will, and the capability spiritually of you handling certain energies. So that makes a lot of sense because you're, you're not 21 and you're just like, Hey, you're going to channel now. And you're like, no, okay. But that is something really important for people to understand when you are channeling, there is this kind of period where you need to prepare the body to handle this flow of information and, and flow of energy because it can very much like a Kundalini awakening. If you're not ready, it can, it could just fry you. Absolutely. And I don't want to be fried. They don't <laughs> want me to be fried. They, the, the message is too important and it needs to get out in this time. And, and as you said, you know, uh, my vintage does not does not bode well for lasting, you know, a long time. I've got a very short time to get to do what I can now. So uh, I think they they knew that that was part of the plan, the blue, blueprint, if you will, the whole time. So you mentioned that when you signed up for this interview, things started to to kind of go into hyperdrive a little bit. Because they were like, "Uh oh, we got we got a we got a window here. Let's get her ready." Is that true? That is absolutely true. And they have been so looking forward to talking with you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Well, if you can't, so so explain it one more time to the audience if, if what your what's going to happen when you channel, and then have them come in. We'll ask a couple questions, and and it's a little as a little bonus channeling in a near death experience episode. So I appreciate that. 
so what I will do is I will go quiet for just a moment and uh, give them the reins, so to speak. And then I will step back and they will come through. And okay. so it'll be just, it's, it's very short, easy. You'll notice the difference. All right, let's go. We are the wisdom keepers of lost civilizations. We are here to answer your questions. And we are honored to be with you today. Thank you so much for showing up. I appreciate that. What, are, what is the message that you have for the younger generation that you wanted to say? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. What is most important to remember is that technology and power, the technology for sure is a tool that power uses or can use to separate people. This is what caused our, our civilizations to fall. There is a way to have peace and technology at the same time without separating people. And this is our message. What, what uh, advice or um, steps should people be taking to avoid this? As so many have said before, it is all about oneness, coming together in oneness, each being an individual part of, shall we say, a body, an individual cell of a body. But the body does not work without all the cells, without all of the different ways of being a cell in a body. Everything is important even if each, even as each, has an individual purpose. And each of you, especially you younger people who don't think so, you have a purpose. Can you name some of the lost civilizations that you are from? We have Atlantean. We have Chaco. We have Mu. We have Angkor Wat, and there are so many others that most people name and are familiar with. There is the Egyptians, there's the Babylonians, all of these and more, the South American Mayans, all of these and more are here because all of these opportunities of the past have been missed and this time in the in the global world that you have now is the time to make it work why did these why does humanity constantly go in these cycles of rising in technology and and consciousness to a certain extent and then it's lost and this knowledge is lost and then we have to remember it again and it's lost again. Why do we keep going in the cyclical manner? Because people agree to it. People may not realize they are agreeing to it and they may feel like they are forced into 
going along with participating in it. But you always have choice. And when the whole, or at least the major portion of the whole, decides we are not going along with this anymore, we are not participating, and we are not agreeing to this system, and they create another system that allows all of the people to be equal, truly equal, then the society can move forward. All of us were not in that position. We did not choose to allow everyone to be equal. We allowed some to have power, much power, and that is what brought our civilizations down. We would like to give an example now mm-hmm. of how this can be done, which is current and has been current for over for thousands of years. If we look at the Buddhist monks and nuns and the way they live life, they live without policing. They live without power structures. They live together. And they do this by coming together regularly and admitting publicly if they have erred and broken one of the rules that could allow there to be separation or pain. And then the person who has done this also decides how to move forward so that it doesn't happen again. In this way, there is no need for a power structure. There is no need for policing, which is another power structure. And all can live as one, individually being themselves, and at the same time, a vital part of the whole. Does this help? It does. And do you have any final words for our audience? All of you are life. All of you are love and are loved equally, fully, wholly. And all of you are made up of that energy equally, fully, and wholly. And she's back. back. (laughs) How are you feeling? Uh, I'm I'm good now. <laughs> Why did you feel a little off while you were doing it? I felt a little like <laughs> I'm a little wobbly. All right, all right. Well, I'll ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests. Um, what is your definition of living a fulfilled life? Living your purpose, finding your purpose, and living your purpose fully, which is going to be something that um, you're going to want to. You, um, forgive me, the words come a little harder now. Um, mm-hmm. If you're experiencing what you're supposed to experience and you're experiencing life, that's fulfillment. If you had a chance to go back in time and speak to little Lay, what would you? What advice would you give her? You're going to make it through this. You're going to live a life beyond your wildest imagination and dreams and just hang in there and you're going to get there. How do you how do you define God? Everything, all that is the the creative 
inner, the, the, the unconditional creative loving force that is all of us and everything. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? To live, to experience, to love, to love, to love, to love. And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing in the world? Um, my website is handletheshift.com. I'm also on Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, but it's not really up and going well at this moment. So those, the others are the best ways of getting a hold of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is my, my email address in most of those places, and you can find me that way. And do you have any parting messages? I'm so grateful that you allowed me to be here today. I am so grateful you allowed them to be here today. They are very grateful that you allowed them to be here today. And thank you, thank you, thank you for all you're doing. And for anyone out there watching, live your best life. I appreciate you and everything you're doing for the world, my dear. Thank you again so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with all of us and experiences with all of us. So thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank Leigh for coming on the show and sharing her experiences with us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 322. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.